This is Shi'ar Jashub, coming from Shi'ar Jashub Christian Tabernacle in Madison, Connecticut. Today we will be concluding Pastor Greg Scalzo's sermon, focusing on 1 Samuel chapter 14, and delivered as part of the Heavenly Authority series. When we left off, Pastor was in verse 24. Saul, having stopped the priests from consulting God as he goes out to battle the Philistines, now makes a rash oath, saying, Cursed is the man who eats any food until evening, before I have taken vengeance on my enemies. Here now is Pastor Greg. He's getting absorbed by the power. He's getting corrupted by the power. In Matthew chapter 18 and verse 4, Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. The humble attitude. Does Saul sound humble here? Whoever humbles himself as a little child is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. This is the way the kingdom of God works. The kingdom of the world, what did Jesus say? People lord it over one another. One bosses one another. And that's the way it goes, right? Anyone that's been out in the workplace, isn't that the way it goes? One lords it over the other, one bosses another. That's the way of the Gentiles, the nations. But it's not to be so in the kingdom. In the kingdom, we have to humble ourselves and become like little children. If we are supposed to be in the lead, we have to become the very last and the servant of all. And most importantly, we always have to remember the service to him who called us. Luke chapter 17, verse 10. So likewise, Jesus said, when you have done all these things which you are commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. So likewise, when you have done all these things which you are commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. We're just doing what we're supposed to do. We're servants of him. He's the one that we have given our lives to. And if anyone is called to position of leadership, they are first and foremost a servant of Jesus Christ. And really, we're just all unprofitable servants. It's by his grace that he allows us to do what he's called us to do, that we might have some part of it. Isn't it nice if you witness to somebody and they've accepted Jesus Christ, the feeling to know that you played a role in that person's salvation? That's a wonderful thing, isn't it? God doesn't need you or me to do that. Right? He can send an angel to do it. But it's a wonderful thing he's called us into that service that we could be a part of it. Not to become prideful from it. Because really we're unprofitable servants. We're just doing what we're supposed to do to remember the service that we have to the Lord God. Also, besides the spirit of pride we feel from this section, what else do you notice? What else is Saul doing? He's adding to what God has done. He's adding to the victory. God is winning that victory in the camp just by the chaos, right? They're killing each other. But he's going to add to it now. He's going to exercise his own will and fleshly power. It's right that he goes into battle. But what does this oath have to do with the victory? 
How is the fact that the people are not going to eat? How is that going to affect what God does? Ultimately, only God gives a victory. What is Saul doing here? And it's a pitfall of leadership that comes out of disobedience, irreverence, impatience, having to do something else. He's working in his own fleshly power. Because who started this work? Jonathan and the armor bearer. And they have to make an oath to do it. They ask God to show them if it's the right time. If they say such and such, then we know God will give them into our hands. They consulted the Lord. We studied that. And then they went and they labored. And they were diligent to climb uphill. And who has brought the victory thus far in the Philistine camp? God has done it. But now Saul, as though he's taking credit, it becomes his battle my vengeance, and he's setting new terms for the success. You're not going to eat until I win. And it doesn't improve his chances at all. Adding this fleshly obligation doesn't add anything to what God is doing. Actually, it's a foolish vow or a foolish curse, and it's actually going to hurt their chances. Why? It's going to weaken them. But Saul's got to do something, and that that's part of pride, and that comes into the church, that we have to add to what God does. It's not enough to simply be obedient and do what we have to do and go in the battle, but there's this mysterious spirit that comes upon the irreverent in Christian churches, and it seems like it's reverential, it seems like it's holy, it seems like they're doing something, but these fleshly vows of pride are made or obligations are established, or some type of ritual is placed into effect. And this has entered Christendom for many centuries. And really all it is is a man trying to add to what God has already done, a fleshly observance. And it's really a form of pride. If I give up such and such for a certain period of time, that I'm prepared for a certain time of year. If I do such and such, if I hold so many beads, if I say so many prayers a certain way, it's as though we're trying to add to what God has done. Now, it's not wrong to go into battle. Someone has to go into battle. right? This is not saying that we don't work. Jonathan worked. But his work was a work of responsibility in the power of God. This work is meaningless. What does it benefit not to eat? What does it benefit you not to eat meat on Friday? How does that add to what Jesus has done? And every ritual and everything that is not of God, every observance that's come into the churches, Catholic and Protestant and Orthodox, over the centuries, that is not of the Lord has been an attempt by men to add to what God has already done. doesn't mean we're not supposed to do things. There are things we're called to do as his servants. But these things are meaningless. They're foolishness. They have no basis in the reality of what God is doing. And a matter of fact, it distracts from God's work. It weakens God's work as the people will be weakened from not eating the food. And it puts the focus, what? On silly things that are of no value to a very, very serious battle. We are in a very, very serious battle. And when you take the focus off of God, and you put it on the silly things. These people's minds are obsessed with food now. We're going to see they get to a certain point they start to break the animals and eat them almost without cooking them because they become so hungry. 
the focus has been taken off of God and put on a silly, foolish, stupid thing. And it's always the work of the flesh, the work of pride. Saul is bringing the attention on himself, and it's going off of God. And it's not, notice also from the statement, it's not based on knowledge. He doesn't know what's happened to Jonathan and the armor bearer. All he knows is they're gone. So he doesn't know what they've been through. He doesn't know what they've eaten or may eat. And obviously they're the ones that have started this whole thing. So it's not based on knowledge. Why? Because he hasn't consulted God. Withdraw your hand. And so the oath causes chaos. Cursing and vows like this. He places the people under a curse. Cursing and vows like this come from, what did Jesus say? It comes from, anything more than this comes from the evil one. Matthew 5, 37. And the enemy will play on our uncontrolled, pent-up emotions. There's a lot of emotion here, right? You notice how Saul is a man that's following his emotions. He can't wait. When you can't wait, that's emotional. That's impatience. He can't wait. Withdraw your hand. He can't wait. Now the emotions build up. I want this battle, and you can't eat. Curses the man who eats anything until I have taken vengeance on my enemies. The enemy, the evil one, Satan, will use our emotions and our impatience. And many times that's where the cursing and the vows come out of. And people say things they should never say because of the emotionalism. This is a stupid vow. It's like Jephthah's vow, which condemned his child to a lifetime of nunnery. And since she was his only child, it cut off, destroyed any chance of a lineage for him. It's like the vow that the 40 men took in the book of Acts when they said that they would not eat or drink until they killed Paul. It's a foolish vow. Careless words. But Jesus said that we will give an account for every idle and careless word at the day of judgment. Let me read that section, Matthew chapter 12 and verse 36. But I say to you, that for every idle or careless word men may speak, they will give an account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. It's not just words. What he does here will have an impact. We're not going to be able to, to read it today. We'll, Lord willing, read it next time. We're going to see what happens. But by your words, you put into effect in the heavenlies, in the spiritual realm, things that are going to happen on earth. Blessing and cursing. You open and close doors for angels and demons. Saul here is actually calling down a curse upon his household. Now, if you know the, the account before we read it here, you know that Jonathan will eat after this, unknowing what Saul the vow Saul makes. And Jonathan won't die because the people will save him. We'll read about that next time. But ultimately, this is the start of a downhill road for Saul and his family, and Jonathan will die. The end result of it is that good Jonathan, good man that he is, under the hands of the Philistines, will ultimately die with his father. So the words we say put things into motion in the heavenly realms. 
whether we call upon God and trust in him, whether we're prideful and arrogant and say stupid things, those things can have an impact in spiritual realms that will manifest themselves on earth. And we need to think about that. And everything we say, ultimately, we have to give an account for at the judgment seat. Jesus told us that. And we should think about that. We'll see what happens after this, Lord willing, next time. But let's stop the study here. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your holy scriptures. We thank you for your revelation, Lord, for the food that you give us that has fed generations and continues to feed, Lord. We ask, Heavenly Father, that you would give us patience to seek you, to know your word and to seek the joy and the glory and the presence of your spirit, that we would be anointed soldiers in the battle, Lord, that we would show ourselves approved, rightly dividing your word, that we would seek you first and put you first in the battle. For, Father, there is no battle that we can stand in except if we're protected and showered by your love and your mercy and your presence. Lord, give us your revelation. Speak your word to us. Help us to be humble servants that trust in you and discharge that which you give us in this wonderful stewardship that you include us in your plan of salvation to do ministry in this world, Lord, as we look towards the next. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions, please write to us at Shear Jashub, S-H-E-A-R-J-A-S-H-U-B, P.O. Box 518, Branford, Connecticut, 06405. Please join us for our next broadcast of Shear Jashub.